Grace, mercy, and peace unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs> As you know, we've been working our way through various psalms, and tonight we're looking at Psalm 32, on the blessings and joy of forgiveness, also a key psalm in our teaching of confession and absolution. So obviously, right from the get-go, one of the main reasons to pray this psalm is to pray it especially when we are struggling against sin, when we have sin that needs to be confessed. And so, like we did a couple weeks ago, we'll look at the psalm in three parts. First, we'll look at the blessing of forgiveness. The second part, don't be a mule. And the third part, sorrow for the wicked, but joy for the righteous. David says, the one who's blessed, whose transgression is forgiven. And yet, a better translation, a more accurate, precise, would be whose sins are lifted. It's a word that's used for people that have to, to bear things. So, for example, in Genesis, when Cain has to bear his sin, it's this word that is used. It's used of lawbreakers in Leviticus. They must bear their guilt or sin. Someone's going to bear your sin. It's either going to be you or it's going to be Christ. Those are the only options. So, in the Old Testament, this word is used for sins being put upon Aaron, the high priest. It's used for sins being put upon the scapegoat. And so, too, for Christ of which they are pictures. And so, David says, once blessed your transgression is lifted, and where it's placed somewhere, it's placed on to Christ, whose sin is covered. Right? It's the idea of atonement. Your, your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Right? We're familiar as Lutherans with this language. Right? Your sins being counted against you. We don't want them counted against us. We want Christ to bear them. Christ lifts them from us so they can be counted against him and his account so that they can not be counted against us so that we can be forgiven. And then it has this strange line that perhaps, especially as Lutherans, we might struggle with, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And we say, well, pastor, that's impossible. Nobody has a heart without deceit. But in this psalm, what it means is that you confess your sin and receive forgiveness. The person with no deceit says, I've sinned, right? The person who hides their sin, they're deceiving themselves, right? First John, we deceive ourselves if we say that we have no sin. That's the same idea here. In fact, John probably just took it right from the psalm. But then David says something interesting. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David said, when he refused to confess his sin, when he refused to confess it, that he felt zapped of all energy. He felt physically ill. Why? Because God's hand was heavy upon him, afflicting his conscience. And because God was afflicting his conscience, he felt it in his body. Now, we know, because we've read Job, we know that if someone's struggling or suffering, we can't look at it and say, oh, they must have unconfessed sin. They must have messed up really bad. That's why God is punishing them. We know we can't do that. But also, if you read Psalm 32, there are consequences for sin. And for unconfessed sin... One of the consequences can be that you feel literally physically ill. You feel zapped of all strength. As if, he says, right, as if 
You're out in the heat of the summer day and you have no water, you have no shade, you're just dying of heat exhaustion. That's what David pictures. God is afflicting his conscience and he feels it in his bones. We all know this, right? Even from the time you're a little kid, when you knew you did something wrong, you had to go tell your parents that you did something wrong, what happened? Your stomach felt sick. You, you didn't want to have to go do that. And if you kept hiding it, that feeling gets worse and worse and worse. Think about David. David, as we heard from 2 Samuel, he committed adultery. Then to cover up his adultery, he committed murder. Got other people involved in his murder. And it's not just Uriah that was murdered, remember. Other soldiers died when they went to the wall. He got Joab involved in the murder. And one of my favorite verses in the whole Old Testament is that verse that after he tries to make himself look really good, oh, look, he took the war widow's wife to be his own. What a great guy. The Lord says the thing that David did, the thing that David did displeased the Lord's. What an understatement. And it doesn't seem like at that time that David didn't bother him all that much until what happened? The Lord sent Nathan. The Lord sent Nathan to convict David of his sin. But David says, while he's in the state of not confessing his sin, he, he was zapped of energy, he was weak, he was ill. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. So we have another part to this, right? Either we carry our sins, we bear them, or the Lord does. Either we try to cover our sins and hide them, or we can have them covered by the blood of Jesus. Those are really our only two options with these things. Either we deal with it ourselves and suffer the consequences, or we take them to Jesus and confess them and receive the blessing that he gives. And David, because he's experienced this personally, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Well, that language should immediately make us think of Noah. Right? Flood of great waters. Better call out to you when you may be found. I mean, David here is picturing Noah gets safely on the ark and the door is shut. It's too late for everybody else. What does Paul say? Behold, today is the day of salvation. Right? It's not something David says that you should put off because you may run out of time. He says, confess it now. Confess those sins at this moment. He says, because you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. We have this kind of language throughout the Bible. I've mentioned before that Zechariah is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, that God rejoices over us with singing. It's an amazing thing. God sings over you. And here is the same kind of idea. You're surrounded by trouble, but God shouts of deliverance. When you hear that, hopefully you think what we're about ready to hear on Good Friday as Christ is upon the cross and he cries out, it says, with a loud voice, it is finished. That's a shout of deliverance. Our victory is accomplished. David says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll count you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. 
David experiences. He knows what it's like to be a stubborn mule. We still have that phrase today, as stubborn as a mule. This is nothing new. When animals are being stubborn, especially larger animals, they can be difficult to deal with. David says, don't be like them. Don't be like that when you're in your sin. Don't be stubborn. Don't hide your sin. Don't cover it up. Don't try to deal with it on your own. In fact, David's kind of saying, don't be like I was. Don't be like me. I did that. Look what happened to me. My bones wasted away. His hand was heavy upon me. Don't let that be you. Don't be a stubborn mule. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. That you might receive forgiveness. And that's why David ends up with this third part. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Right? If you don't confess your sin, if you refuse to acknowledge it, if you try to cover it yourself, if you try to bear the weight of your sin then what do you get? You get sorrows. Here and now and for all eternity. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. If we've confessed our sin, and we know he's faithful and just forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, then we know we're surrounded by the steadfast love of the Lord, then what else can be our response but to be glad, to rejoice, to shout for joy, to sing for joy. Because our sins have been lifted. They've been borne by Christ. Our sins have been covered. It's not been counted against us. When we confess our sins and receive forgiveness, we can say we have no deceit in our hearts. We're not trying to get away with something. We're not trying to hide something from the Lord's. Right? Paul sums this up beautifully in Romans chapter 3. He says that Jesus is our redemption. Right? He's bought us back from the slavery of sin and the devil. He's our propitiation. He's borne the wrath of God against our sins. So that why, he says, so that God might be just, righteous, and the justifier, the one who declares us righteous, by grace alone in Christ Jesus. This is why Luther will say, in his exhortation to confession, that when I exhort you to go to confession... I'm just exhorting you to be a Christian. That's why Luther can say in that exhortation, you should be willing to run a thousand miles to go confess your sins. Why? Because you receive forgiveness. You receive covering of your sins. The Lord won't hold that iniquity against you. And when you have that, you have everything. So here in Psalm 32, David teaches us how we ought to pray when we're in sin. To quickly confess our sin that we might receive the absolution. Amen. The peace of God passes on your sin and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.